Good morning, Daylight Church. I'm Paul. I want to say welcome, and uh, feel free to join in with us wherever you are, and God bless you guys.
little praise be your welcome let our songs be a sign we are here for you we are here for you let your prayer come from heaven fill our hearts with your life we are here for you we are here for you To you our hearts are open Nothing here is hidden You are our one desire You alone are holy Only you are worthy God Put your fire fall down Turn me round to heaven's horizons 
And in deluge you poured out new wine I need him amazed I need complete I put my face to the ground Jesus my sin erased my joy complete I will gladly lay this crown at your feet All that I've become starts to crumble. The blood on the door stays death aside. And a seed of joy is welling off from sorrow. And your arms, like heaven's gates, are open wide. I kneel amazed I kneel complete I put my face to the ground Jesus feel My sin Joy complete. I will gladly lay this crowd at your feet. Wanna join with the angels in their parade. Wanna enter your throne room, knowing it's forever. Wanna sing to you a thousand hallelujah. With a heart of thankfulness and surrender. Wanna join with the angels in their parade. And 
I put my face to the ground at Jesus' feet. Good morning, Daylighters, and people everywhere that are listening in. We appreciate you joining us for our Sunday morning service here at Daylight Church. This morning, I want to introduce you to a, a pretty interesting guy. His name is Ole Romer. Uh, he was a Danish astronomer in the late 1600s and quite famous uh, since that time. He, he was the guy that discovered or invented the mercury thermometer, which all of us are familiar with, and, and put on it the hashtags for the boiling point and the freezing points of water. And so that was kind of a big deal. But perhaps more importantly, he was famous for calculating the speed of light as a constant, which you'll find in many... Uh, physical formulas as the constant C. And so he was the first person that kind of uh, experimented and demonstrated that, that, that light was a con moved at a constant speed. So up until that time, people kind of had the impression that light was instantaneous, that it, it, would, it didn't actually travel. But when a light was turned on, that it immediately met the eyes. And he, he started studying the pattern and movement of moons around the planet Jupiter and discovered that depending on which season they were in, which, how far the Earth was from Jupiter, determined how, how much time it took for the light to arrive. And so he's quite famous for, uh, for initially discovering that it was a constant. And his, by his calculations, which were, were kind of uh, not quite as good as later calculations, he determined that the speed of light was a constant of 2.25 meters per sec, 2.25 times 10 to the eighth meters per second. And turns out he was off, but he was, he was starting to get in the range. And it was actually this guy, um, Albert Michelson, or Mickelson, in 1879 that determined what the actual constant was. And he did it through this device that you can kind of see on your screen right now. And it, it involved rotating mirrors and reflecting lights. And he could tell by the, how quickly the mirrors rotated and how quickly his sensors picked up the light what the speed of light actually was. And they broke it down to about 2.997 times 10 to the 8th meters per second, which we round up typically to 3, meters, three times 10 to the 8th meters per second. And so they, they determined that light was a constant, which was a breakthrough scientifically. But it was really this guy, who you might be familiar with, and his uh, theory of relativity and equation E equals mc squared, which when you ask people to cite an equation, that's the equation they know, is E equals mc squared. And it's energy equals mass times the speed of light as a constant squared, which introduced the world to this idea that there was a tremendous amount of energy ca captured within mass, that basically everything you touch is actually uh, composed of energy. It's, it's wild, wild stuff. But the, the results of this equation, the results of his research were, were quite far-reaching. And I read this weekend that, that, or this week, that perhaps the equation's most far-reaching legacy is that it provides the key to understanding the most basic natural processes of the universe, from microscopic radi radioactivity to the Big Bang. And in practical applications, this is what you find, that this, this theory, so, so Romer and Michelson's work combined with Einstein's kind of finalization of the process resulted in us kind of harnessing certain types of energy. And in doing so, we, we learned way, way more important methods of medical diagnosis. We, we learned medical therapy. Exit signs, which I see around me in this building right now, have, have, would not exist if it weren't for this research. Smoke detectors, carbon dating, telecom satellites, Mars rovers. It stirred the imagination. Star Trek and Star Wars would not exist if it weren't for C being finalized as a constant. Those, those, it, it, it opened up 
the minds and imagination of people who eventually wrote science fiction, and, and a lot of this stuff may eventually not become, may, may not be fiction. We'll talk about that in a moment. But it, it opened up new avenues to, to harness power to create, generate electricity. It, it taught us a lot about cosmology, and it, it's, it's, it's on the, it's, it's probably going to open up new methods of future energy. There, this biomechanical engineer, Scott Gordon, says this. He says, even physicists do not yet know how important E equals MC squared is. In other words, we're kind of still at the ground floor of what all this means and what it's going to do for us. But in time, it will be mind-blowing what, what all this turned out to be. And it all went back to this Danish astronomer saying light was not instantaneous, but it travels over time. And C being a constant turned out to be the foundation for a lot of scientific theory and scientific discovery. So Einstein could have easily said, if you don't know what C stands for, how can you create a PET scan? Or how can you create an exit light? Or how can you study cosmology effectively? C, was the, C as the constant of light, the speed of light was the foundation for much, much scientific discovery. And this ties in to a series that we have that is kind of a one-off, one-on series here at Daylight Church that we call the Red Stuff. And if you're familiar with the Red Letter Print Bible, a Red Letter Print Bible is a Bible that takes the specific words of Jesus and puts them in a red font or a red text. And so if you're wanting to flip through your Bible and say, what did Jesus actually say? All you got to do is turn to the red letters and stop at the red letters, and then you're going to hear the voice of Jesus. And specifically, we're going to talk about some of the red stuff today, as in Parables 101. Jesus told a lot of stories. He told a lot of parables. And today, we're going to study the foundation that was laid that would help us understand all the parables. Because there was this one particular parable that Jesus said this about. So it's like Einstein saying, if you don't understand C, how can you know what a PET scan is? Jesus said this about one particular parable. He said, when Jesus, Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? In other words, there was this one parable that he told, this one story that he told, that if you didn't get it, none of the rest of them would make sense. This was a foundational, cornerstone parable that we're going to dive into today. So what was this parable that Jesus told that was so monumental? that was so important to understanding the rest of his teachings. And it's found here in Matthew chapter 13, and it's also found in a couple of the other Gospels, Mark and Luke. And we're going we're gonna to study, kind of bounce back and forth between those, those uh, versions within the Scriptures. But he says this, he says, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. So he tells this story about a farmer going out and throwing seed, and some of it ends up on a road, some of it ends up on rocky soil, some of it ends up in thorny soil, and some of it ends up in good quality receptive soil. And each Different soil has a different response to the seed being planted. And when he told this story, his disciples immediately said, basically, what gives? They wanted to know, why do you keep telling people stories? Why can't you, why can't you just give it to us straight? Why can't you just tell us stuff directly instead of telling a story and expecting people to figure it out? And Jesus dove into that question about what gives? Why, why use parables? And this is how he responded. Jesus said this about that question about what gives. He says, whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. 
This is why I speak to them in parables. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. So somehow Jesus teaches these parables with the understanding that some people will hear and some people won't. Some people will see and some people will be unable to see. And he relates it to the callousness of their hearts. He says some people's hearts are calloused, and so when they hear one of these stories, they don't get it. They can't quite connect with it. But you, he says to his disciples, you are blessed because you do get it, because you do understand. So then he says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. And I've underlined then because that clearly shows that this was a continuation of the thought. So Jesus, in this parable that he says is tantamount to understanding all other parables, basically says some people's hearts are hard and they can't hear. And some people's hearts are not and they can. So now that you understand that, let's get down to this parable. Let's get down to see as a constant. Let's get down to this thing that undergirds and underlies everything else that I'm going to teach you. And he starts off, and, and, and we're skipping over to Mark chapter 4 because it, it, it helps us understand kind of the flow here a little bit better. But Mark chapter 4, in it Jesus says, the farmer sows the word. And in the Greek is the logon. And at Daylight Church, you've probably become familiar with the word logos. Uh, it's, so it says, the farmer sows the message or the voice. The farmer sh- sows the words. And in a lot, of passage, a, a lot of versions of scripture, it's going to describe it as the word. The farmer sows the word, but it's the message. A person's voice is their logon or their logos. And so it's saying the farmer spreads a message. And it says it's a message about the kingdom. In the Greek, it's the basileus. So it says, it says this farmer is scattering the message about the basileus. And the basileus in the Greek is kind of, it's, it's the same root word that we get our word basilica from. And a basilica, of course, is a, a building, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a temple or a holy place where God resides. And so Jesus starts off this parable by saying there's this, there's this message about this safe place, this place where God resides. It's a, it's a place, it's a, it's a kingdom, it's a king's dominion is, is kind of the root words. That we, it's what we derive out of kingdom, is king's dominion. So there's this place where the king reigns, where the king is in control, where the king is in charge. And the, the picture in the image of a basilica uh, is the picture of an image of a safe place, a place, a sanctuary, a place you can go to and be rescued or be saved. And so he starts off by saying, some people's hearts are hard, they won't be able to hear. Some people's hearts are soft, is, it's implied, and they will be able to hear. But what are they going to hear? They're going to hear the message about a safe place. They're going to hear a message about a sanctuary. They're going to hear a message about a place where God lives. And then they're going to have a particular response. Now, what is that message and how do we receive that message? What, what are we talking about when we're saying the word of God is spread or the voice of God is spread? And when the, the, the farmer, who is it's implied as God in this parable, when he's throwing out the message, what, what is this message? And Christian theologians throughout history have believed that, that you come to revelation, you come to know God's message through, through a bunch of different means, but there's particular ones that we're going to discuss for just a second. And the first is what they call general or natural revelation. So general revelation is the revelation that every human being everywhere throughout all history has been bestowed. Every human being can look at nature and say there's a power. Every human being can look at a bug and wonder, not wonder, wonder, can wonder about the bug. 
And so every human being, Scripture seems to indicate, uh, can see God in one way or another, whether they have specific revelation about Jesus or about the Scriptures or about God being triune or, or, or whatever Christian theology you want to you talk about. They don't have that. But every human being throughout history has had what they call natural knowledge or general knowledge. And it says, the heavens declare the glory of God in the Psalms. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day it pours out speech, and night to night it reveals knowledge. And in Romans 1 it says his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And it goes on to say that so men are without excuse because all men, all women everywhere can see God in nature. So the word, the, the farmer that's throwing seed, part of what's been thrown out there has been through nature. This look around, basically, is what the scriptures would say, and you will see God, and it's there for everyone. And some people receive it, and some people don't. But then they have what's called special, or we're going to call supernatural revelation. It's where God intervened within nature to show something beyond nature. And that's where we get the scriptures. That's where we get Jesus, the Logos, the capital L Logos of God, revealing what God is like. And you see several examples of this in scripture. In Exodus 31, as the story goes, Moses... uh, had two tablets of testimony when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, tablets of stone written by the finger of God. So the claim here is that God specifically etched in stone the law of God. This was, target, this was special revelation. This was supernatural revelation. This wasn't revelation that every human being everywhere was allowed. It was for a select group of people at a particular time. It says that all scripture is God-breathed, and in the Greek this means... Uh, this is, it literally means breathe, that the scriptures came from the breath of God. And so Christians throughout history, there's various views on how this process worked or what it means in particular, but Christians have always believed that the scriptures were a special revelation from God that go beyond nature, that there was, there's something more buried in the scriptures. And so there's supernatural revelation. And then we find in Colossians and elsewhere that Jesus dwells, in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So Jesus was the ultimate special revelation of what God is like and who God is. And we say around daylight constantly, if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. And so Jesus was the logos of God, the message of God in human form, the voice of God. If you want to know someone, know their words. If you could take a person's life in their entire life, in their entirety, and and listen and hear all their words, you would learn a lot about that person. And what we find in Jesus is that he is the voice of God. He is the message of God. When you study Jesus, you hear God. And so this seed that's being scattered in this this parable is this message. And some of it comes through natural revelation. Some of it comes through special revelation. And then some of it comes through what we'll call direct or personal revelation. It means what I receive from the natural revelation, what I receive from the special revelation. So when God gives the scriptures, for example, and I read them, they mean something special to me that they wouldn't mean to a friend of mine who was reading the scriptures on those same days. That's direct and personal revelation. When I look at a tree, I see something different than the person next to me sees when they look at a tree. God speaks to individuals in their hearts and minds in special ways, and that's direct or personal revelation. In Matthew, it says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So through direct revelation, I'm sorry, through, through supernatural revelation and through natural revelation, general revelation and specific revelation, we get a message from God on a daily basis. God is speaking to us. 
And some people hear and some people don't. And some people hear and don't care, and some people hear and do care. And that's what this see is a constant parable is trying to say, is that revelation is out there. God is revealing himself all day, every day. He reveals himself through nature. He's revealed himself through the scriptures. He's revealed himself through the person of Jesus. And he reveals himself to people as individuals through those mechanisms. And they're expected to respond. And so I just wrote out some of the things that I think God says. And some of this would come through the revelation of nature. Some of it would come through supernatural revelation. But all of it would be directed revelation. And, and so you might hear a message that says joy is here. That's something that I think God wants to say is that joy is available. That, that excitement and wonder about the universe is available. God might say put down your phone. That might be something that, that you need to hear. And somehow through nature or through the scriptures or through teaching, people teaching about the scriptures, you're going to start to realize that relationship trumps having your phone in your hand all the time. That might be something that God speaks to you about. Showing up on time is important. Being baptized is important. God might want you to get more sleep or not to cheat on your taxes. You might want to keep your pants on in particular situations where your pants shouldn't come off. These are all things that God speaks to us. And God is speaking constantly in various areas of our life through various mechanisms all the time. All the time the conscience is there. All the time nature is there. All the time pastors are there and teachers are there. All the time friends are there. All the time nutrition is there. All, all these messages, all these voices are, are, are voices of the basilica. They're voices to safeguard you, to keep you sanctified in a sanctuary, in a safe place. They're, they're there constantly. Breathe might be something God speaks to you. Or eggbok, which means everything's going to be okay. At some points, God's going to tell you you need to set the bar high. And at some points, he's going to say, cut yourself some slack. He might say, write a book. As an author myself, I get people all the time coming to me saying, God told me to write a book, or I feel like I want to write a book. And my encouragement to them is always get your butt in a chair and start typing. So many people say that God wants them to write a book or that they think they should write a book, but they never, never actually get around to it. This is, this is the message of God saying, do it, do it, do it, and then we have to respond. God might say, you're killing yourself, or he might say, Look, a bug, like I mentioned earlier, you know, a roly-poly in the ground a child is fascinated with, an adult is disgusted by. And we've, we've lost our sense of fascination, our sense of wonder, which I'm going to talk about in the next few weeks. Or he might say, I'm asking you. God might say, I'm asking you to call a friend. Or I'm asking you to give up this practice. Or I'm asking you to move to Israel and become a missionary there. Or I'm asking you to start a church. Or I'm asking you to take a different job. Or I'm asking you to treat your wife better. Constantly, the voice of God is there, and constantly we are responding. And so Jesus, when he talks further about this parable, he says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, which we'll break down in just a second, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. And so when we're talking about the word, we're talking about the logos, the message. God says, write a book. One person will say, nah, not interested. That's the stony ground. One person will say, oh, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. But then, like you see here, since they have no root, this lasts only a short time. Trouble or persecution comes because it's hard to sit down and write a book. They don't. Or keep their pants on or get more sleep or whatever it is the, that God is speaking to you at a particular time. People respond differently. The seed falling among the thorn refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life the deceitfulness of wealth choked the word, making it unfruitful. He says, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. 
And so we're, we're talking about those who hear the word and understand it are the winners in this parable. These are the ones Jesus is targeting and, and trying to, to encourage. And that word is sinis in the Greek. And so it's, it's those who hear the word and sinis the word that produce a crop. It's, it's that the seed does what seed was intended to do, which was grow a big crop. And when we study this word out, what we find is it's properly put together to join facts or ideas into a comprehensive interlocking whole, to synthesize, to arrive at a summary. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is those who hear the logos, the message, the general revelation, the specific revelation, the special revelation, these ways that God is communicating all the time and talking to us, there's people who hear it, and then there's people who synthesize it. There's people who summarize it. They take it all and they put it into a package and they let it be what it was supposed to be. They let it do what it was supposed to do. They get it. Some people get it. And when you tie it into what he said earlier, it means some people's hearts are hard. Some people don't want to hear. Some people can't hear. And some people can. Some people get it. So in this parable, you find four types of people. You find the hard ground who are the unreceptive. They're not interested in the message at all. You find the shallow ground, which these are the unenduring. These are the people who really want the message, but they're not willing to carry out the message. They're not willing to sinise it. They won't, they won't synthesize it into their lives and let it carry out their lives and, and invade them. But they'll just hold on to it for a short period of time. You find the thorny ground. These are the unfocused. These are like, yes, this is great. I want this message in my life. I, I want to keep my pants on when I should. I want to write a book. I want to breathe better. I want to set the bar high, and I want to cut myself some slack. But then everything else comes in and pulls on them and pushes on them and takes their focus away, and they lose track of the message that came to them originally. And then finally, you have the good soil, which are the unshakable. These are the people who receive it. They sinise it. They summarize it. They, they apply it to their lives, and, it, and they continually allow it to affect and change their lives. So... Why did Jesus tell this parable? This, this sea is a constant parable that's kind of foundational, that grounds a bunch of his other teaching. Why did he tell it? Well, I, have, I think there's two reasons why he told it. One was for insight. I-N-S-I-G-H-T, insight. It's that we'll understand. And I, Personally, I believe this is for, for Christian leaders more than anybody else, is that the 80-20 rule is very much alive and well within the church, within people. And so this parable says there's some people who are going to get it, and there's some people who won't, which is the greatest frustration in a pastor's life, is why are, why are the same people sitting in the same seats, living the same lives, doing the same thing they've always done every single week? Why, why hasn't so-and-so done what God has asked them to do? And, and I think Jesus was preparing Christian leaders to say, some won't. Some will, some won't. But more than that, I think it's to incite us, I-N-C-I-T-E. It's to incite us to look at this list, to figure out where we are, and some of us are at a certain place in certain categories and other place in others. I might be willing to hear God when it comes to one area of my life, but unwilling in another. And so it, it's, it's not a specific, you're not putting people into categories necessarily, but it does allow us to see something about our hearts. Are there times in my life when God has spoken to me and said, hey, you should do this, or hey, you shouldn't do that. And I said, yeah, yeah, I, I embrace that, I believe it. And we followed it for a little while, but then let the worries of this life choke it all out. And so it's to incite us to look at our lives and say, which, which of these categories do I fit in? Which of these categories describe the way that I hear God's message? When God speaks, whether it's through nature, through scripture, through friends, through my conscience, 
through a voice in my head, how do I respond to it? And it's supposed to incite us to change. So how do we change? Number one, I think it starts with longing. The soil that is good soil is receptive soil. When the word lands, it lands. It gets planted. It doesn't, it's not easy to scrape away. We're, we become people who want the message of God. We want God to speak into our lives. We desire for him to move and make a difference in our lives. It has to do with loyalty. So it starts with longing. It moves to loyalty. It means it's, we shenise it. It's, it's that we allow it into our life and we allow it to take root and we stick with it. We stay with it. We, 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 we are faithful to it. And it's longevity. It's worth, we, we receive it, we're faithful to it, and we're faithful to it for a long period of time. We're not flashing the pan Christians. We're not flashing the pan people. We don't just go out and see a tree one day and say, wow, a tree, it's beautiful, and let God bring joy into our lives, but then walk past the trees for the rest of our lives and never notice. We let God's general revelation fill us and continue to fill us. When we study the scriptures, we don't study the scriptures for a little bit and say, hey, that was cool, that was great, that, that helped me a little bit, and then move on with life. It's that we become students of the scriptures. We desire God's word. We long for it. We're loyal to it, and we're loyal to it over a great period of time. So when we look back at our list of the kind of things God, and there's a thousand things God might say to you. There's a thousand ways that God speaks and a thousand desires that he has for you. But when we, we look at cutting ourselves some slack, for example, we, we, we long for this. We long for grace towards ourselves, the, uh, the ability to forgive ourselves. We're faithful to it. We, we, we are loyal to it in that we allow that process to happen, and we practice longevity as we allow it to happen over a long period of time. We're faithful. And whether, whatever it is on this list, when you realize you're killing yourself, for example, when God speaks and says that, that, that destructive behavior that you're exhibiting is going to kill you, you don't just give it up for a week. You don't just give it up for a day. You give it up for a lifetime. Because the seed of God's word, the seed of God's message, the logos of God has now been planted in you, and it's trying to rescue you. It's trying to create a sanctuary, a basilica for you. The message of the basilica has come, and you are allowing it into your life, not just now, but forever. And I want to close with this thought. Max Lucado said this. Max Lucado, I'm sorry. He said, grace is God's best idea. It's his decision to ravage a people by love, to rescue passionately, and to restore justly. In Ephesians 3, it says, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I want to encourage you that the ability to be the good soil described in this parable, that Jesus says is a foundational parable. This parable is a cornerstone of all his other teachings, to receive it, to, to, to not be hard soil, to not be thorny soil, to not be people who are confused and frustrated and unfocused all the time, requi requires the grace of God in your life. And that goes back to that longing that we talked about. Do you long for God's presence in your life? Do you long for him to free you? Do you long to stop behaviors that are killing you? Do you long to control yourselves in ways or finish the book that he wanted you to start or, or to breathe better? And just understand everything is going to be okay. Do you want these things in your life? A lot of it starts with the longing. And that longing is turned towards God. And he, and he pours out his grace. His charis is the Greek. It's, it's, uh, it's power to overcome. He's the one that empowers you 
to be a particular type of soil. You can never plow your soil enough. You can never grind it out enough to make it, make it good soil. He's the one that does that work in you. So I encourage you to turn towards him and say, help me. Help me be what you want me to be. Help me to be the soil that you want me to be. Help me to receive your message and your, your word, your voice in such a way that it changes me, that it takes root deep and transforms me. Let's pray. God, I ask you in the name of Jesus that you would do this work in our lives. I recognize that we can't do it, that you are the one that plows up the, our hearts, that you're the, you're the one that makes the soil of our lives soft and pliable and flexible so that when your seed lands, when your word comes every day, when you're speaking to us about how great life is, you're speaking to us about loving our neighbors, you're speaking to us about how we're your sons and daughters, you're speaking to us that we shouldn't have any fear or anxiety. When you're, I, I pray that we would be the kind of soil that can receive that from you. I pray for every listener here that they would call out to you and say, I want it. I want it, I want it, I want it. And they would receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Thanks for tuning in today. And uh, we have some interesting announcements this week about the plan going forward. So make sure and stay tuned to your emails. If you're not signed up, go to daylightchurch.com and sign up. And we'll keep you informed. Love you guys. Hope to see you soon. Thanks. Bye.